Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. And we're going to start reading with uh, verse 1. And this is what it says. Judge not that you be not judged. If I was to put, have a top ten list of like scripture that's taken out of context, this would be in the top three. A lot of people take this out of context. And they do it like this. Um, someone says, for instance, on Facebook, that something is not right or it's a sin or it shouldn't be done that way. Somebody will comment down below and say, well, aren't Christians, are they not supposed to judge? Christians are not supposed to judge. And they base it on this particular verse. Christians are not supposed to judge. If someone is doing something wrong in your family, or if it's a friend of yours that's doing something wrong, and they know that you're a Christian, and maybe they're not a Christian. Let's just play that out. Maybe they're not a Christian. And you point out that what they're doing is wrong. They will come back at you and say, well, you're not supposed to judge because you're a Christian. Christians do it too. You approach a Christian about something that they're doing wrong, and, and they will come back and say, well, you know, Jesus says not to judge me, so you shouldn't be judging me. It's wrong for you to judge. Well, that is not what this verse is implying. And by the way, if you tell someone else that you're a Christian and you're not supposed to judge, you've just made a judgment. I just wanted to throw that out there. Do you know what I mean? You've just made a judgment. But back up a little bit. That is not what Jesus means here. Jesus does not mean that you and I should never judge. Now, the word judge here is the term that's used in Scripture for the court of law. It, it's a judgment that is right or wrong, and that person goes to jail. But it's also the Greek word that's used for decisions throughout Scripture. So there's other passages of Scripture where um, we are told to make judgments, and we are told to make decisions. It's, it's all through Scripture. So when it says, do not judge that you not be judged, there must be something different that Jesus is talking about here, and it's not normal everyday activities. For instance, um, Here's how we know that he's not referring to judgments. Number one, uh, it, is a, it isn't an honest way to live, is it? To not make any judgments. It's not an honest way to live. You make judgments all the time. When you go to a restaurant and it, it is terrible, right? You're making a judgment that the cook was awful. You're not saying it, but you're saying it was awful. And I'm not going back to that restaurant. You've just made a judgment. So it must not be that. It's just unfair to say that all across the board that Christians should never make judgments. It's just very unfair to do that. And so Jesus wouldn't have done that. Second, we are created in God's image with the ability to make value judgments. From the beginning of time when he created Adam and Eve, he told them what was right and wrong, and he expected them to make a judgment concerning what was right and wrong. Do not eat of the tree. You're not supposed to eat of the tree. They had that conversation. You're not supposed to eat of it. And on and on. After the fall, there were judgment calls that were made. In fact, the entire law is put into Scripture so that you can make a judgment concerning what 
is right and wrong. It is wrong to murder. It is wrong to lie. It is wrong to commit adultery. It is wrong to covet your neighbor's wife. It is wrong. And so you make those judgments based on Scripture. So he's not saying do not judge at all. Anytime, that's not what he's saying. You are supposed to make judgments in this life. We're created in the image of God, and we are capable of figuring out what is wrong and right. Um, animals can't do this. They can't do this. I know you've trained your dog, but your dog doesn't have any concept of sin. He just knows he's going to get hit with the paper if he does it in the house again. That's all he knows, Okay. He knows he's going to get a treat if he's a good dog all day long. He knows that. That's what he knows. He has no concept of right or wrong. He does not really feel guilty, though he gives you puppy eyes. Now, you can argue with me, and that's fine. That's perfectly fine. You know how I feel about dogs. I, they're fine. I'll let them exist. All right, number three, okay? Because Jesus in this sermon that he's preaching here, and this is the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us to make a judgment earlier in the sermon. In chapter 5, verse 20, he says this, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So he's telling us that our righteousness, we should make sure that our righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees. And so we are going to have to make some type of judgment to make sure that we're not pharisaical in our righteousness, but we are one step above them, not that we look down on them, but that our righteousness exceeds their righteousness. So he's telling us to, to do this kind of judgment thing and, and weigh things. Um, so that must not be what he means here when he says, judge not that you be not judged. It, it must be something else. Okay, it must be something else. So, so what is it? So let's talk about two words, okay, to kind of bring clarity to all this. Assumptions hypothesis. <clears throat> There's a lot of people that make judgments and they assume something to be true that isn't true at all. I would bank on it that everybody in this room has made an assumption at some point in their life and they've stuck to it like it was the gospel, right? Because that's what assumptions do. You make an assumption about a person, about how they're feeling or, or what they're thinking or what they're doing, and you make this assumption and it becomes concrete. And in your mind, you're thinking it's a fact. It's a fact about them when really it isn't. But it's very hard to convince you that it isn't a fact because you made an assumption and you believe that your assumption is real and you don't even think that your assumption is an assumption at all. And that's not an assumptory statement. It's just a fact. I made up that last word. Yeah, the person that wrote Harry Potter could do it, I could do it too, okay? So, so you make these assumptions and you really believe that they are true and it's almost like you're concrete in it. Assumptions cause you not to listen to the other person. It causes you, causes you not to look at the facts. It causes you to stick with whatever assumption that you made. And it's very difficult to know if you're holding on to, like personally know if you're holding on to an assumption or if you're not holding on to an assumption. But if you stop a moment and think about it, you can walk yourself back and figure out that you have assumed something and that you're wrong. But that is very difficult to do because in assumptions, wrapped up in it is pride and self-righteousness. It's what's wrapped up in an assumption. And when you make those assumptions, what happens is emotionally you respond to those assumptions and you begin to invest in those assumptions. And once you've invested so much, 
it's hard to dial those assumptions back because you've bought in to the very lie that you're perpetrating by your assumption that you think is true. Assumptions are very dangerous. And so in this passage of Scripture, God is saying, do not make assumptions about other people because most of the time you're wrong. So what is a hypothesis? A hypothesis is totally different. Um, we have, <clears throat> I've been a part of a, a video series on YouTube called Pastor Search Sessions. I'll say that fast a couple of times, right? Very difficult. I can barely say it slowly, okay? Pastor Search Sessions. And in that, we have a group of, we have a group of videos where we open up a resume for the very first time and we go through the resume. We have 10 minutes to give our first knee-jerk reaction to the resume that we're looking at, okay? At the beginning of each one of those videos, we make this statement. What we are telling you are just hypotheses concerning what we see on this resume. What you do with these hypotheses is you write them down, and then you see if they are true later on. So I'll go through a whole resume and say this about the person, I think this about the person, I think this about the person, make a lot of hypothesis, and then I'm instructing the people that are listening, that's what you do with the resume, and then you contact that person to figure out if this hypothesis is right or if this is right or if this one is right. So you're constantly trying to figure out which hypothesis is correct. Hypothesis, unlike assumptions, allows you to let go of what you're thinking enough to where it can be proved wrong if information comes your way to say, hey, this hypothesis is incorrect. Is everybody following me with that? Are you with me? So you make these hypotheses, and there are a lot of them, and you don't hold on to them. And what you find is if you instead do hypothesis rather than assumptions, is you actually give people the benefit of the doubt in your hypothesis. Right? Because you're saying, I believe this, but I'm not really sure that it's true, so let's test it. I'll either ask them a question or observe their behavior or whatever until I figure out if this is right or wrong. And if it's wrong, I'm going to throw it away. And if it's right, I'm going to keep it as a fact. And you move from assumption type living where you're judging incorrectly to correctly discerning what is right and what is wrong. Does this make sense? If we would do this in our, in our marriages and with our children and with our relationships, it would revolutionize everything that we do. In fact, if we would start doing it in other areas of our life, it would revolutionize our emotional state at any given moment. I think a lot of times people get angry because they're basing all their stuff on an assumption and they've got so amped up about the assumption that they're so angry about it, they can't let it go. And so now it's a fight and it's a fight to win and you're not going to lose. Well, if you're me, you're not going to lose. And I'm sure you're the same way. You're going to fight to win it. But an hypothesis is like, okay, well, whew, I was wrong about that. Let's move on, right? And you're, and you're chill about it. That's, that's the difference there. So we move on to verse 2, and it says this. So for with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use it, it will be measured to you. So if you're a person... Well, let me, let me back up and maybe I could say it this way. There's nobody in this room that would ever want to be judged according to someone else's assumption. Right? You would never want that to happen to you. And so if you don't want that to happen to you, then what Jesus is saying is you better not be making assumptuous judgments about other people. 
Yes, I made up that word too, but it works. Okay? So you should not do that because if you assume and make those judgments and act on those judgments, that is the same way other people are going to be allowed to judge you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is an amazing warning that we should take to heart, that we should say, hey, I need to make sure that I'm not assuming this about this individual. I need to move to a hypothesis situation where I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt because if I was in the same situation, I would want someone else to give me the benefit of the doubt. And there's nobody in this room that wouldn't want someone to judge them with the benefit of the doubt. Hypothesis allows you to listen to the other person. Assumptions do not. So the way you judge is the way that you will be judged, is what Jesus says. And I have found this to be true in my life, and I've found it to be true in other people's lives as well. It's amazing how this actually plays out in people's lives. So we move on to <clears throat> verse 3. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? So I want to stop here and say this is not a parable. This is an illustration. There's a lot of people that, think, that say the parable of the log or the plank. It's not a parable. It's just an illustration. A parable in Scripture, just to let you know, is a story with a heavenly meaning. It's a story. So if this was, if this was a story, it would be something like this. There was a man that was cutting down a tree. And a plank got stuck in his eye. And on the way to the hospital, as he walked there, he met a guy that had a speck in his eye. Tears were coming out of his eye. Feeling compassion for the man with the speck, the man with the plank decided to go with the man with the speck and tried to get the speck out of the eye. And as he did it, he hit him upside the head with his... That, that is a parable, okay? This is not a parable. This is an illustration. It's an illustration about a plank being in the eye. Now, now when Jesus said this back in the day, they laughed. The way I know this is because of the way the original language is structured. It is a joke. This is actually a joke. I have no clue why it's funny. I have no clue why it's funny. I know the facts. You know, they had logs, specs, they carried, all that kind of stuff. I have no idea why this is funny. And it makes me feel good because there are people that don't think my jokes are funny either. Thank you. That was good. It was good, Josh, right? That was a good one. But here's the plank in somebody's eye, and this is how this works out, okay? So I've got this plank in my eye. My brother over here, Brian, he's got a speck, and, and he knows about my plank. And my plank is different than his speck. Now, his speck is really bothering me enough to do something about it, and my plank isn't really bothering me at all. I'm fine with this plank. I'm I'm accustomed to this sin being in my life, so I'm just fine with it. So I come up with, to him, and I start trying to get that out of his eyeball. And, you know, I'm hitting him with this plank. He is really, this guy is really, you're really strong. <laughs> in the first service, I was able to whip that guy around, but I can't do you. Right, so here's the plank back and forth, and you're trying to get this speck. And it hurts the person as you're trying to get that speck out of their eye. It doesn't work. This doesn't work real well. So what Jesus is saying is, you need to get that plank out of your eye before you go after theirs. Well, what is the plank? Well, I don't know what sin it would be, but this is what I know about that sin. 
The reason that you're trying to get his plank out of his eye is because you think that you are superior to him or you feel bad about your plank and you want to feel better about your sin. So you go around pointing out everybody's sins to try to get their speck. Oh, he's bad. So he's worse than I am. He's bad. So I'm worse than I am. Don't get scared. I won't do you. Um, he's bad. You need to take off your glasses so I could get yours. You know, he's bad. He's bad. He's bad. And so you have this plank that you're waving around and you keep trying to judge people. In fact, you're judging people in order for those people to look worse than you are so that you can feel good about your plank so that you can hold on to it a little bit longer. I got this in my life, but I'm not as bad as Brian. I got this in my life, you know, but I'm not as bad as this person over here. I got this in my life, but I'm just not as bad. And you keep hitting people with your plank. And Jesus says in this passage, you need to take care of your plank. You get your plank out of your eye, and, and then we'll go to the next step. So it says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye. And when, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. This passage of scripture is also used out of context from time to time. A lot of times people think, well, I've got to deal with my own plank. I can't, I can't help my brother with their speck. That is not what this is saying. Nowhere in Scripture does the Bible say that you are not supposed to help someone else with their speck in their eye. There's nowhere in Scripture that says that. We are all accountable to each other. And if there's a speck in someone's eye, we should have the grace and the mercy to go up to that person and talk to them about that speck. But we need to pray before we get there that God will help us with our log. We all have logs. We all have logs. And Jesus is saying, before you help someone with their speck, you need to bring yourself down to their level. And maybe it's, Brian, you know I struggle with this right here. But I've noticed this. I'm not, I'm not saying anything other than that I love you. Could you help me with my log? And would you allow me to help you with your speck? Do you see how that's different? I've got this log. I want you to help. I want to be accountable to her log, but let me help you with that speck. And so at that moment, you bring yourself down to everybody's level in the room because we all have logs, we all have specks, and we all need each other in order to walk more faithfully with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's called accountability. So we look at each other and we say, yeah, I've got this. Help me with mine. I'll help you with yours. But you have to be to the point where you admit that there is a log that's in your eye. Now listen, let me tell you something. Never, ever take someone else's assumption about you and make that your log. That is called lying. You never grab of something that you're not doing wrong and say that you're doing it wrong just because someone else assumed that you were doing it wrong. Does this make sense? And they've said it. Just because they said it doesn't mean that you've done it. You have enough logs without people making up logs for you to have. Come on, church. 
So leave that alone. Those are assumptions. Leave that alone. Deal with the logs that you know you have within your heart and then help your brother. That's what he is trying to say. So you have this log thing going on. So <clears throat> spec, log, you got that. And then <laughs> one of the most interesting scriptures in, well, interesting parts of the um, Sermon on the Mount is the next verse. It says this, Do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Holy things to dogs, pearls to pigs. Um, I used to work at McDonald's a long, long time ago, back when I was in high school and first two years of college. And there was this lady in Greensboro that once a week would bring her little dog. I don't remember the dog's name. Let's just call him Fluffy. Would bring Fluffy through the drive-thru and buy Fluffy some chicken McNuggets. And she would come to the window each time and she would say, Oh, Fluffy loves chicken McNuggets. Don't you, Fluffy? And the dog's sitting there going, you know, ready. Each time I saw this woman, I was thinking, look, Fluffy would like anything you put in front of him. He doesn't know the difference between chicken nuggets and a filet mignon. He's just going to eat whatever's in front of you. I'm glad it makes you feel good that you're going through the drive-thru to get him chicken nuggets. And I'm glad that you have this connection with your dog. I really am. And if you have a connection with your dog, I am really ecstatic about that. I really am. I'm glad that you do. I'm glad that you do. But, but, Flu- but Fluffy doesn't know the difference between, um, you know, chicken nuggets and, and filet mignon or dog food or any other thing that you give him. If you give him hot dogs, that's a little cannibalistic or dogbalistic. <laughs> but nonetheless, you know, that, that's just the deal, okay? So then you have this pig thing going on here. So, so you don't give what is holy, and that's in relation to the uh, temple. It's a picture. It's a picture. The holy food in the temple. Don't give the holy food in the temple, the best cuts of meat, to the dogs. Now, back in those days... Um, dogs were wild, okay? So, so they were not in people's homes. They were not dri- driving through a drive-thru. They were, just, they were just ugly creatures, actually. It's later that dogs became domesticated, okay? So then we, <clears throat> we move to pearls. It says, don't, do not throw your pearls before pigs. Don't do it. So the picture is this. Don't throw your p- pearls before pigs. Don't do it. Right? Just, just don't, don't do this. Right? Don't throw your pigs before. It's just this picture of, you know, somebody taking pearls, which are a lot of value, and they're taking them, and they're saying, here, piggy, 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 you know, and they're like throwing them at them. The problem with this teaching is this. I've never been tempted to do this. <laughs> I've never been tempted to go to Jimmy Sink's house and do this at his house. Never been tempted to do that. I just, so check, I've got this down, Right? I've got this down. But this isn't what this teaching is saying. It's not talking about literally throwing pearls to a, to a swine. It's not literally doing it. This is, what, this is what it's talking about. First of all, this is a pig. It's always going to be a pig. Second of all, pearls are very valuable things. And what it's saying is, don't waste your good stuff in this life by giving it to people that are pigs. 
Jesus is saying that there are people in the world that are pigs and people in the world that are dogs. And giving them good things all the time doesn't change them from being a pig into something better. They are always going to be a pig. And if you give good meat to a dog, a dog is always going to be the same. They are always going to be a dog. They're always going to do doggy things. So if you give them food, good food, it is going to be waste because, wasted because the pig and the dog do not understand the value of, of what they are being given. The pig doesn't understand the value of pearls. The pig isn't like, oh my, oh my goodness, oink, 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 pearls. I can quit eating slop. Oh, I'm going to a restaurant tonight. These pearls are so much. Thank you for throwing them to me. I'm going to use them for good. The pig isn't saying that. What the pig's going to do is he's going to trample on your valuable pearls. He's not going to say, he has no value for the pearls. He's always going to be a pig. So we don't continue to give good things to people that are pigs or people that are dogs. Listen, I know some of you think, thinking that this is very harsh, but listen to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 22. It says this, what the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its own vomit. That's why I'm telling you, a dog thinks vomit tastes like chicken McNuggets that tastes like... Do you see the picture? Just because you give the dog good food doesn't mean that he's not going to turn around and eat his own... Right? He's still going to be a dog. And then the text says, in 2 Peter, it says, and, and the pig, after washing herself returns to wallow in the mire. The pig gets clean, and the pig is still going to do what a pig's going to do. A pig's going to go back and wallow in the dirt because it's a pig. So what is this about? And I'm going to tell you, this is about control. This is about control and controlling people. Now, you're probably sitting there thinking, how in the world is this about control? How did you get there? Well, there are a lot of people that have family members that are pigs and dogs that keep wallowing in the dirt, that keep wallowing in their sin, that keep doing the same thing over and over. And what the family members are doing is they're trying to bail them out each time. And they, so they continue to give them good things with the hope that the good things that they're helping them with will change them into something better. And so they bailed them out of debt. They've helped them with their drug problem. They've helped them with this, that, and the other. And they've helped and they 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 helped. And they keep giving all this good stuff to them. And they wonder why the, their family members still keeps returning to the mud, still keeps trampling on the good stuff that they've been given, and they're hurt by it. I'm telling you why you are hurt by it. You're hurt by it because your family member is a pig and a dog, and that's what pigs and dogs do. And Jesus is telling you, quit giving that your good stuff. Quit giving that. Quit bailing them out. Quit helping them. This is a very hard teaching. 
The reason that you're giving them the good stuff is because you're trying to control them. You're trying to bring them down a path. You're trying to make them something that they're not. And to be honest with you, a pig and a dog is going to be a pig and a dog until they receive the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. They will not change as long as they are lost. So you let go. You quit giving them the good things. You quit enabling their behavior. You let them go and you pray that Jesus Christ will save their soul. That they will be brought to a moment where they receive him as their savior and they change from a pig to a sheep. They change from a dog to a sheep that is following Jesus. They are totally changed. Quit trying to control the people around you by giving them good things. Quit doing that because it's a waste of time. They do not understand the value of it. Our government does this. We throw money and money and money at people and they still haven't changed. But on a personal level, sometimes people with a good heart do the same thing for their family members. And at some point in time, you have to quit giving them the good things and give them to God, love them, don't quit loving them, but give them to God and pray that God will save their soul and change their lives. This whole passage, by the way, is, a, is one paragraph in the Greek. One paragraph. And so we get to this point and we realize that this is about control, right? Well, that has to fit in the first part of the paragraph too. And so in the first part of this this. This passage, judge not that you not be judged. This judgment is not only looking down at someone, but it's judging people to control them. Judging people to control them. It's making them feel so bad, so bad, so bad about what they've done that you're trying to get them to change. If they could just feel bad enough, if they could just feel like I feel about their sin, if they could just, just, just feel bad about it, they would change. And so you try to get them to feel as bad as possible so that they would make a positive change. And Jesus is saying, quit judging people to control them. Do not judge them. This will not work. You are on their same level. Verse two, for the judgment you pronounce for the controls that you put in place, you will be judged or you will be controlled by the same measure that you're trying to judge. And with the measure you use it will be measured to you. There's a lot of people that use judgment and maybe I should use a better word, not a better word than Jesus, but just kind of just bring it. I didn't mean to say that. It's a good word, what I'm about to use. Maybe I should use the word shame. There's a lot of parents that shame their children into doing right. There's a lot of couples that try to shame the other one into doing right. So they bring up all this stuff about their assumptions or maybe they're right. Now, what that, that person's doing wrong, they're trying to shame them into a change. There are people that try to shame other family members, other friends, other people in society. They, they heap on shame, 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 shame in order to control an outcome. And the outcome never happens. And Jesus is saying, quit shaming people with the intent of them becoming better. Quit shaming them. 
Do not judge in that particular fashion because every time you shame someone in order for them to get better is a moment that you are making yourself king of the hill. In fact, I would say that even in arguments, there's always this going on, right? This king of the hill thing going on. Quit shaming the other person and love them instead. Quit giving them the good things, but quit judging them as well. Quit trying to control people by judgment. But instead, release that control to Jesus. Now, I could back up in the previous passage. I just don't have time to show you how all that works out. But you just give people to Jesus. Your family member. I have family members of my own that I wish were different. I do. And I pray for them. But there's no way I can change them. Only Jesus can. And even when people do something wrong and I judge them accordingly, I can't get to the place where I'll look down on them in order for them to change. I'm on their same level. We need to not ever shame people into doing the right thing. We need to love people, love people, lead them to Jesus, and pray that that change will enable them to do the right thing. But that means that you and I will no longer control an outcome. We're letting Jesus do that. This is a tough teaching, isn't it? Nicole will tell you this. I like to fix people. I like to fix people. But I can't fix people. Only Jesus can. And it's the fixing people that causes us to judge incorrectly. It's the fixing people that makes us manipulate people to get them to do what we want them to do. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Don't judge them badly to get them to do what you want. And don't give them things to get them to do what you want. Leave that to me, Jesus is saying. Leave that to me. So I don't, I don't know who you need to pray for today. I don't know how you need to pray. Maybe you've got a log and you just need Jesus to help you with the log. Maybe you don't see that you have a log and you need Jesus to say, hey, this is the log that you need to take care of today. Maybe you need to pray there. Maybe you need to start there. Maybe you need to start with this whole judgment thing and say, Lord, I'm sorry for making these assumptions. I'm sorry for making these judgments. I'm sorry for trying to guilt people into doing the right thing. I'm sorry for doing that. I see now that it's all about control and I'm just gonna leave that control to you. And then the prayer right after that is, so why don't you now just show me the logs that I have in my life, right? Or maybe you're sitting here today and you say, man, I've really tried my best to help that individual in my family. I've helped them and helped them and helped them. And as hard as it is, because my heart, I love them so much, I realize that that was just about control and I just have to let them go. I just have to let them go. I still care about them, but I'm just going to let them go. But when I let them go, what I'm doing is I'm giving them to God to let him take control of their situation. And ever how he decides to move, my prayer is that they will respond to him and receive them as their personal savior. I just had a birthday, um, January 27th, right? She has the same birthday. 
So don't. Just say birthday. Sad birthday. And I'm fully convinced at this point in my life in ministry that the only thing that changes people is the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the only thing. It's the only thing that takes us out of darkness. And it's from that transformation that causes us to become better. There's nothing I can throw at a pig, no amount of goodness I can do it to a dog, no amount of judgment that I can do to anyone else that even comes close to the transformation that happens when someone embraces Jesus Christ as their friend. And you have to just release it. Release it to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given us. We thank you for this message. We thank you for the Sermon on the Mount. Father, you know that we all have people in our families that we've tried to fix. At some level, we've made assumptions concerning them. At some level, we've tried to give them good things in order for them to change. And I pray, Father, that in this moment, as we think about those people in this room that we have in our lives, that you'll help us to let go of that control. Help us not to judge in order to control and help us not to give in order to control. And this morning, we want to just release that control to you and let you handle it. And when we do that, Father, we are also saying that we would like to be a part of whatever you're trying to do. So in the moment that we're supposed to be a part of whatever you're trying to do in their lives, make that clear to us so that we can act on it. But help us to not go further than what you want us to do. That's what we're asking. For the one in the room that is running away from Jesus and has been running away for a long period of time, I pray that the gospel message just continues to hit their hearts over and over again until they decide to receive you as their Savior. So help each of us today with what we're struggling with. We'll leave that at the foot of the cross. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's stand and sing. The altar is open. I'm here for you too. If you want to